DEI budgets are under attack, but the goals haven't changed. Whether you're looking to increase your DEI knowledge, expand your market reach, or gain a competitive advantage in business, we have the solution. TDM Library is your single source for expert curated DEI resources, strategies, and solutions, all designed to help you transform your workplace culture and be a more effective contributor. For $9.99 per month, you get access to our searchable subscription-based digital library. There, you'll find articles, practical how-to guidebooks, podcasts, award-winning micro-videos, and more than 700 Q&As designed to help DEI practitioners, thought leaders, and executives create a more inclusive workplace. Whether you prefer to listen, watch, or read, we have the resources for you. TDM Library goes beyond the basics to dive deep into topics such as inclusive language, the business case for DEI, talent acquisition, and C-suite engagement. For less than the price of a sandwich, you get access to our library of more than a thousand pieces of original expert curated DEI content. Join today and get your first 30 days free. Get your library card now at tdmlibrary.thediversitymovement.com. You can't stop me, nothing's gonna stand in my way Nothing, nothing I'm gonna fly higher I'm gonna fly higher Higher Welcome to the Hustle Unlimited Podcast We have a new episode for you today that I'm so excited to share I'm Jason Gillikin, producer of Hustle Unlimited and CEO of the EarFluence Podcast Network This season so far, we've had on Heather Chandler former senior producer of Fortnite at Epic Games, and Javier Leva from Pretend, which is a side hustle podcast that has over a million downloads. If you haven't listened to those, be sure to check those out. Today, get ready to hear an inspirational story and some amazing advice for entrepreneurs. Molly Demarest is the general manager of American Underground, which is a startup hub and co-working space in downtown Durham. But it's so much more than that, and a lot of that is because of Molly. In her role at American Underground, Molly is a connector, an advisor, a coach, a boss, a leader. But growing up, she might not have expected to be in a position where people look up to her. In the interview today, you'll hear why that is and why she's so passionate about diversity and inclusion in the workplace, and especially at American Underground. But before we get started, if you want these episodes in your feed every Monday so you can be inspired for the week ahead, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen, give us a rating and review as well and share this episode on any social media platform. That helps us find more great inspirational guests, the hustlers, the trailblazers, the movers and shakers, and the people who make their communities a better place. So let's get started. Here's WalkWest CEO, investor, speaker, mentor, advisor, and all around hustler himself, host of the Hustle Unlimited podcast, Donald Thompson. Hey guys, this is Donald Thompson, another episode of Hustle Unlimited, and I'm here with Molly uh, Demarest, and we are super excited to chat with you today. I'm and to be uh, here. get a chance to get to know you better personally, and then talk about things you're doing uh, at American Underground. So as we introduce you to the Hustle Unlimited team, just take a minute and just tell us a little bit about you personally, where you're from, brothers and sisters, how you got to North Carolina, just a little bit of background, and as yeah. we talk as friends. 
So I moved to Durham when I was seven years old, and I'm the oldest of four. Nice. Four kids. We're all very close. I have two brothers and a sister. I yes, yeah, so I went through Durham Public Schools all the way through. Went to Appalachian State. Nice. Um, My daughter goes to App State. Oh, she must be fun. <laughs> She's having a great time. I feel like people at App, <laughs> you you're fun or you leave App. <laughs> um, Yeah, and so I grew up, my family, um, we moved to Durham for my dad to do his postdoc at Duke. And so it was this interesting experience of being around a lot of uh, very like, I don't know, intellectual intellectual people, but from like a socioeconomic standpoint, because there were four of us and he was in grad school, we were on the grad school salary. And so it was this like really weird experience moving here where... I don't know, like my life looked different than my peers did. Got it. Yes, yeah, so I think that formed a lot of things. I don't, I don't even know why I was just thinking about that. No, but it's it kind of just came up as you brought that up. I mean, because our experiences, our family life, and all those different things shape us. Now, now, App State, what did you study? What were you interested in? And how, did, how does that weave into to what you're doing today? I took an accounting class. I did really well in it. I was like, this is weird. I guess my brain kind of works like this. And I had a mentor say, if you get accounting, go for it. You could still do marketing down the line. Accounting will open doors for you. And if your brain works that way, just keep moving. Awesome. And so I did. That is fantastic. Now, one of the things with education and then as we weave into our professional career, tell me about your first couple of jobs and then how you ended up as general manager of American Underground. Oh, man. Okay. So my first job was working for Mad Hatters in Durham and as like a a coffee barista. And it was really important, I think, for me to – my parents were just, you know, from a work ethic standpoint, like needing to work and interact with people. And like I remember realizations around the differences with people just from that job specifically. And like, you, you know, you just interact with so many different people on a daily basis. So I did that. And then – what did I do after that? Oh, then I started working for a criminal defense attorney in downtown Vastly Durham. Different. Totally different. But this is the true story. This is how it happened. So I really loved Law and Order and I loved Matlock growing up. I loved all of those things. Like I come <laughs> home as a fourth grader and watch Matlock. That's awesome. It's like what I love to do. And I said to this attorney, I said, I really love Law and Order. I think I want to be an attorney. And he's like, I don't know about this, but I'll let like let me give you a project and see what you can do. And so in high school, I started working there. That turned into a whole slew of jobs through college where I worked on a couple death penalty cases, the Racial Justice Act in North Carolina. And that really started forming, I I mean, so much of how I saw the world, which was different than accounting. Meanwhile, I worked on a death penalty case um, in Stanley County, then a death penalty case in Durham. Researched all the murders in Durham over a five-year span and compared the race of the defendant and the victim and the rate at which the death penalty was applied. And starting with kind of a socioeconomic threat to Yes. Life. Yes. And building this database, I'm touching all of the court files. I mean, I spent an entire summer pulling every single court file and all the medical examiner documents and all the newspaper documents. And, I mean, the data showed it, like – the race of the defendant impacts the rate at which the death penalty is put on the table. And there was no denying it. And at the same time, my first cousin was murdered. And so I had this really weird experience of like, kind of like, what side am I on here? What does this look like? I've seen how this impacts family. One of the attorneys that I worked for, I went with him to the Durham County Jail one day. And he said, my role as an attorney is to make sure that my client knows 
all of the details they need to make the best decision that they can make. My job is not to sway them, but to empower them and ensure that they live a better life beyond this point in whatever capacity. So we go in there. I remember sitting there, like having this conversation, watching how he had the, how he led this. And then we leave and he looked at me and he said, one thing you need to know is that the only thing that's different between you and him, the two things are the color of your skin and the neighborhood you were born into. And if there's one thing that you need to remember in your future is that you are at this point for these reasons and you're working hard. There's not a discredit to that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I'm doing all of this while I'm studying accounting and I'm like, what am I doing? I couldn't justify the two. The point that I'm taking right is our experiences do shape us and your ability to chase different experiences Right, has built a foundation for what you're doing today. Oh, because I loved Law and Order. And because you love TV. Like, <laughs> I love TV. <laughs> doom, doom. Right? That, that sound or whatever. Isn't that Law and Order? Yeah. My ringtone was even Law and Order. <laughs> how bad is that? Yeah, so that is that is it. awesome. When when I was doing some research, and, and we've known each other for a couple yeah. of years, but as, as I've done my research, ADHD in high yeah. school. I mean, still now probably, but like yeah. that's where you were diagnosed. Like a lot of times when we think about diversity, we think about gender, mm-hmm. we think about skin color, right? We think about sexual orientation, but it's all deeper than that, right? So and there's much. like, there's so many things that we're all working with that nobody else could see, yeah. right? Tell me a little bit about that challenge for you and how it shaped you, how you've had to overcome it. So I remember the first time I realized I learned differently and it was actually when I moved to Durham. We moved in the middle of the year and I had gone to a small private school up in uh, like the Falls Church, D.C. area and then went in the first day back from winter break into Durham Public Schools. And so it was this like vast difference. I didn't have as much teacher attention. Yep. And I remember they were doing, I still to this day have no idea what they were doing. Some sort of song with alphabets and I don't even, the alphabet and something. And I just remember thinking like, I don't, I do not understand what this rhythm and pattern is here. And they kept doing it like every day and it just didn't make sense to me. And then I started realizing I would get to the same answers as people, but I would never get to it the same way that they got it. So much that my teacher one of my teachers in middle school called it Molly math. And it became this joke that seems funny, but what it did for me was it impacted the way that I, I perceived the way my brain work because I would get to the solution a different way than it was taught, but I would still get to it. And they're like, well, that's not how we're teaching it. And so constantly I was always thinking differently than the traditional environment. And I took extra time. And so I'm like, I literally thought I was dumb. But I was also in honors and AP classes. So it just didn't match up. Match up. And I didn't know what to do with it. What did you do? What did your parents do? Like, how did you work through that? So I think with ADHD, so there's a couple things. So I have a learning disability and ADHD. And so those are different. With ADHD, there's a lot of impulsivity and, you know, you want to do a lot of different things. It's all about like managing my energy and, I didn't know how to do that super well, but I played sports. And so I think the activity and the exercise and the team stuff, that really helped me. Then 
I realized I was having trouble focusing. And then I think, I mean, I was not the best high schooler. Like, I mean, actually, I hope I never have kids like I was when I was in high school. (laughs) Um, And you see that come out from a behavioral standpoint, oftentimes with kids that have ADHD. Gotcha. And so you can diagnose it with a lot of different things. Like, is it anxiety, depression? Are they just a crappy kid? Yeah, Yeah. And they, actually, this is real. I, there was some stuff happening in my family and I knew I was having a hard time. And I said to my doctor, I don't think I'm right. I don't know what it is. I've been reading that, like you could get a therapist and all these other things. And he's like, okay, well, like, why don't we look at that? But you can't do medicine if you're not, he said, I would not advise that you do medicine if you don't also do therapy to like learn how to effectively manage those things. Got it. So my parents were all on board with it. And I went, it turned into me getting learning testing that showed like I was really, really strong in, um, like, I think it's called perceptual organization. So it's like taking complex pieces. I think it was like the 98th percentile. That's awesome. Kind of dealing with ambivalence. Reading and verbal was a lot lower initially. So what I realized is, oh, my ability to get stuff out of my head written is harder than out of my head verbally. Got it. Arithmetic, I was a lot stronger. So anyways, I get this insight, start getting accommodations my senior year. So it didn't really impact my education up until college. Okay, got it. But one of the other reasons I picked app was because they had a really good Office of Disability Services. And so from the beginning, my parents made sure that I knew all the resources I had. That is powerful. Like one, because I love overcomers and just people that have a different little slice of life, but they don't let it steal their dreams. Right. They, yeah. they keep pushing and that's super, super cool. A lot of times people hide their challenges and they never get the help that's available to them. There's a lot of shame in it sometimes. Yeah. And what I'm grateful for is parents that are like, this is how you're created. Like there's no shame in this. That's right. And you have these resources available. So might as well take advantage of it. Like you and I can walk to the same spot. It might take me longer to get to that spot, but I can still get there. That's Let's right. make it easier. That's right. And one of the things you said, and, and we'll we'll kind of transition to some of the business things you're working on, but we all learn differently. And that goes into diversity. That goes into personality. Yes. Right? It just so happens we all may have different degrees of things that we're working through, but there's different methods that create productivity with different types of people based on all of these factors. And what... Schools do a lot of times, and I'm not anti-school, but schools a lot of times are cookie cutter approach. And if you don't fit in the box, then you don't get the attention that you need. And you're supposed to sit in a small desk and not tap your feet and not move your hands. Right. Not draw on a board. For hours. That's so hard. Like, whether you have a learning disability (laughs) or not, that's just anti-child. Totally. Like, that's just against how children are created. And then you stop (laughs) doing art in middle school, then creative expression and all those other things go away, then how do you, there's only one vehicle for expression. That's it right. is academic performance. And I think that, you know, when I look at our society and some of the companies now that are no longer requiring a degree, some of the different companies that are looking at what you've done in school, but more emphasis on what did you do outside of school? Yeah. What were your extracurriculars? You said you played sports and different things. So that I, I think that our country is evolving to really looking at the whole person, which I think is better. We still have a million challenges with all sorts of things. But I think that looking at the whole body of work, now we can find the winning elements yes. of people, not just the challenges that they might have. And that part's pretty cool. Uh, when you're saying that, I'm thinking about Duke Integrative Health okay. has been really formative in how I see myself as a whole person, but also how I see business. And I had a Duke Integrative Health coach. 
Her name is Edie Oakley. And she's now like one of my best friends. Um, awesome. We cut, we bartered like, <laughs> like I'd awesome. babysit and she'd coach. Um, That's great. And seeing all of the aspects that make you a whole person, like spirituality, for me, it's my Christian faith, but that doesn't have to be for other people, but we are spiritual beings. Mm-hmm. And so looking holistically at who you are, and then you want to be uh, like, you can't drive on a flat tire. So you want to be a full circle. That's right. And so thinking about how can I do that and which levers do I need to pull so that I can be the fullest circle I can be, which is the exact same thing from a business standpoint. You want to have the healthiest, wholest company. That's right. And the people need to be that way within it. And so that really formed how I saw taking care of myself in my early 20s. And so I know in my head, like when I'm not whole. Got it. And so I kind of do these like mo like periodically I'm just like, hey, how am I doing with these things? Yeah, that's really powerful. I was talking at an entrepreneur conference this afternoon and a lot of times I'll get questions about, you know, how do you look at a business? How do you evaluate an opportunity? How do you evaluate risk? And I try to cycle it back to what are the characteristics of an entrepreneur and do you have them? Right? What is your temperament towards failure and are yeah. you ready for it? And a lot of people want to make things fact based when really it's a lot emotional. Right. And so the question I have for you is now that you are working with American Underground, and that's your your driving focus from a professional Mm -hmm. standpoint. Tell me a little bit about your mission in American Underground and then tell me a little bit about how you got involved. So we have this belief that, and this has been core from the beginning, that startups are a vehicle for increasing and diversifying economic opportunity. So at the core, that's our why. So when I look at kind of our three main areas, I think about connections. So access to connections in the network that open doors. Sometimes people need education and access to information from that standpoint. A lot of times the thing that's holding them back is that one expert or that one person that can open the one door and that we all have stories of that. Like my experience on the legal side was one attorney that gave me a shot and opened up a door to a million other things. So there's the connections piece the content and educational side of it. And then there's workspace. But workspace is part of what we do. And it is, I mean, I believe we are also relational beings. So there's an element of you can connect online, but you also need the in-person. The community. Yeah. And so we have an organizational goal right now that 100% of the companies that we work with will connect with at least one customer, investor if they're raising, employee if they're hiring a resource through the AU community in the next year. So that means that you have to have healthy people you have to have founders connected to other founders, employees connected to other employees. We need to have healthy relationships with our city, with other you know, local, regional, global partners. Yep. And with a healthy environment, more connections are going to come out of that. So that's kind of big picture AU. Yep. Um, we track job creation. Over 3,100 jobs have been created by companies just headquartered in the AU. So that's not even companies that might have a second office in the AU. All right. So repeat that again, right? Because that's powerful, right? 3,100 jobs. Over 3,100 jobs as of last September. So that doesn't include this past year. We'll have our new report come out later this fall. Over $211 million in funding raised from companies just headquartered here. The numbers go on and on. But we track that stuff because it's important. And we also look at who are the people raising it. What is their makeup? What do the employees look like? And I think the more transparent we are and the more we're tracking it, the more we're able to hold ourselves accountable to that and then continue to make structural changes. So there's the fact-based component, but it also creates a pretty powerful niche of care 
outside of your singular demographic, mm. right? That diversity being part of the mission starts to become a part of your language. It starts to become a part of your behavior. It's like part of who you are. And yeah. when I look at the American Underground, one of the things that stands out is everybody's welcome. Like, I don't know if that's a marketing phrase, but that's just how I feel when I go into the building and I see the different startups and I hear the story. And we were talking on the podcast last week. Uh, I don't know if we'll do them in this order, but Tim uh, McLaughlin yeah. uh, over at Co-Founders Capital. And he, the, the powerful thing he said is that in this RTP area, everybody's really for helping everybody. So true. You win, I win. Right. And as I talk to entrepreneurs, as I talk to other business leaders, that thread is similar. Yeah. It's authentic when it's said. It's how do we permeate that messaging as something that really defines our region is an open question. <laughs> yeah, I I think about that a lot, especially with all of the people moving to the area. How do we, one, welcome them and also say, this is how we work. Like, this is how we do work here. We do work by saying, you win, I win. So I'm going to give you 15 minutes of my time and help connect you where I can because you're worth it. And my hope is that you will do that same thing for somebody else. And it's a little bit of the Southern hospitality mm-hmm. that I think is natural to our region. I mean, that's pretty good. Southern hospitality for startups. Yeah, Southern hospitality. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I like, I mean, your line, we actually put on on one of our front windows a couple months ago, it says, welcome, we're glad you're here. And I really, really hope that people find themselves, not just their companies. So when I think about what wakes me up every day, I want Ursula Mead, the founder of In Her Sight, to come in and say, I can not only be a CEO that is building this company, that's leading the company and the people side, that's married, that has kids, that is pregnant, like, all of those things. I want her whole self. Yep. And I think the way that we go about our work needs to speak to those things. So even how, what do we celebrate? Yep. Are we only celebrating funding raised? Is that where we stop? Got it. Or are we celebrating other things that are core to who they are? So I hope that people discover themselves beyond just their companies. When you look at American Underground, the startup ecosystem, what are some of the common threads you are seeing around leaders and companies that make it, that are progressing, right? That are doing well. Focus, the ability to say no, knowing enough of where you're going so that you can say no and not feeling bad about it. I really, really appreciate when people say, I really wish I could do that. I just don't have the capacity for that right now. Because it says to me, when you say yes to me, you're going to say yes, because you actually, you can do it. And when people say that, I'm like, thank you for saying that. That is exactly what I would love to hear. Focus. Um, they're focused on their whole selves. They're focused on their health, their family. They're focused on their companies. There seems to be a trend with industry experience. This isn't all the, across the board, but I do think we're getting some more mature founders, not necessarily age, but from an industry standpoint. So they have a connection or a network in some cases. Yep. And enough of what they've seen needs to be fixed or is broken and so they felt the problem. I think feel, feeling the problem is really important. And you kind of pair all that together. And that seems to be the recipe. I mean, when I think about Anil, I remember when Anil, early days, early, early days of Archive Social. And I remember the point that he and his wife, they had their first child. And that was a big thing. He was like, Molly, you know, I'm, I'm going to be out the next week. I don't remember exactly what it was. But yeah. I remember those moments. Because that is the community that is there. Got it. And to see how he's prioritized that in the midst of Archive Social's growth 
I think is one of the biggest wins beyond raising $53 million in growth equity which is am- Yeah, which, which is, is huge, yeah, huge in which, itself. Which is amazing. Yeah. So I want to repeat these for our audience, right? When we talk about the success threads, right? Focus, the ability to say no. And if you don't have a, a really strong kind of vision or picture of what your outcome is, then you will say yes to anything, right? And so that focus and ability to say no, I agree with. The industry experience, I think that's on trend in that more and more people are seeing entrepreneurship as a path for them personally. And so by sheer force of numbers of people starting businesses, we're getting people that started out in corporate America, started out in medicine, started out in XYZ, and then taking that knowledge into a startup. And there's a maturity level there that you described that I do think is important. Because then you understand, right, you're not going to be 10 minutes to the next Google. You know that there's some level of process, some level of try, fail, and adjust. And then the fourth thing you talked about is feeling the pain of the problem. And a lot of software companies, a lot of startup companies struggle with finding that product market fit. But if you felt the pain of the problem, then you can explain it to others because you've lived it. And so I think those are four elements you described that are really, really powerful. I think that's awesome. What do you read? What do you listen to? What do you watch that keeps you, from a business standpoint, fresh and learning and growing? Man, I struggle with this. I think a lot of people probably can relate to this. There's so many inputs Mm -hmm. in a day of information and decisions that oftentimes outside of work, I am trying to find more ways to decompress and metabolize my stress. That's kind of the way I think about it is how do I metabolize my stress? So I... I box two to three times a week. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. Yeah. All right. Let's just stay friends. Let's not create any. (laughs) No. And the the repetition in it, and I I love my boxing coach. He. And where do you box? Give them a It's called Back to Basics. Okay. It's off of Alston Avenue. It has changed my life. It has seriously changed my life. Okay. From a confidence standpoint, from a like, just, I don't know. There's something, Coach Harold, there's something about his style and coaching that translates the physical aspect with the life aspect. And it feels good to be a participant and not lead. So I also try to put myself in situations where I'm not always leading. I think that's also hard for leaders because you just fall into it all the time. But I want to be coached. So I have an executive coach. I have my boxing coach. I like to golf. I'm getting more into that. But I had a golfing coach. I kind of like go in these spurts and this is the ADHD side of me. I got to keep my body moving and trying something else, but literally it doesn't matter if I'm good or bad at it, which is so nice because I can just do something totally different. That's right. Nothing's on the line. I go on a lot of hikes on the Eno and Hillsboro. I do a lot of just reflection and journaling and just trying to sit. Nature is everything. I'm going to interrupt you there. That was really cool. My question was, what are some of the things you read and stay sharp? And your answer was really powerful in that your fight is how do you get that peace back right after a yes. tough day so that you can recharge, right? Your your yes. answer was like, so I, I get like, that's a, like, it wasn't the answer to the question that one would expect, yeah. but it's no <laughs> less powerful, right? Because you, as a leader, have to be at a high energy level, a high engagement level. Right. So the, by the time you're done, right, how do you replenish? And one of the things that mm-hmm. I've struggled with as an entrepreneur is I've had to deliberately learn how to rest. It's hard. And like, your mind and, works and it keeps going and you and get going. all, oh, man. And that's been a real thing personally. And 
So I can relate yeah. in terms of finding. For me, it's racquetball. Oh, that's so fun. Right? Like I love the high-octane sport of it, racquetball. Nobody really in my racquetball crew knows what I do in business. And they don't care. And they don't care. Like we're just yes. playing racquetball. You right? Just, like you're you just, just get to be We're you. talking smack. We're just playing racquetball, right? Nobody's asking you questions. Hey, do you know so-and-so? What do you know about this? We're just playing a game. Yeah. And that return to childhood for a couple times a week, a couple hours a week is a big deal. So, so I get it. Helpful. Like I appreciate that perspective. I do read. So I don't like posting a lot of things on social media, mostly because I find myself getting so distracted with that that I want to be present in the moment. And so that's usually I, I say, okay, I'd, r- I'd rather be present than dealing with all this other stuff. But that is how I get a lot of my news. This is kind of funny, but my mom is like, an avid podcast listener. That's awesome. And she just gives me downloads of things all the time. She's like, so I was listening to this and here are the three things you should know from this podcast. So I know that sounds kind of crazy, but mom, you're, that's awesome. <laughs> you give me though. the, imp- I mean, she could, t- she, she is on the cutting edge of these things. And then I don't talk about this a lot, but prayer is a really big thing for me. That's good stuff. And this is where, when I'm trying, when I think about like the future of the organization and where am I leading and what am I listening to and paying attention to, I find that that is one of the ways that orients how I spend my time and what I listen to. Got it. And so and that's relational. So I also think like, am I going to read a million articles or am I going to talk to founders? I'd rather listen to founders hear what they want to do. But I also need to get out and travel and see what's happening in other places. And I need to be reading. And with all of those aspects, how do you discern what to give power to in your decision-making process? So we'll, we'll let this go where it goes. But one of the things that I pray for and ask for, I don't ask for money. I don't even ask for business success. It's for wisdom, judgment, and understanding. And if I can be blessed with wisdom, judgment, and understanding, then everything else is going to be fine. Yeah. I pray I have – that is built into my schedule in my That's week. And and I walk and I pray and I, I even pray for business model. I pray for those things. And it's been really interesting to see how like affirmation has come and like, okay, is this the direction that is honoring of this community and honoring yep. where we need to go? Or is it glorifying to me or some other thing? And it has been really cool to see what has fallen into place beyond my control. And the people that come into your, your path. Yeah. Right? Like you mentioned earlier in our discussion that sometimes a founder is one connection away from business success. Mm. And that is how do you create better odds of that happening. That's why the community hmm. of the American Underground is powerful or other communities because if you have a small business, you're alone with your market. You're alone with your product that you're building. And so yeah. you actually become a little bit sequestered, so to speak. But a lot of great ideas about your market are going to come from random people that are outside of your line of sight. And if you don't have those happy connections, you're never going to feel that magic. And that's what those communities do, that co-working, like you described, more than just renting office space, those powerful connections. And so, like, I'm I'm a super fan of, of that. And even for somebody that's listening that you don't share Christian faith that Molly and I may share or you're not deeply religious, that doesn't mean you can't take advantage of prayer being quiet time for all the synopsis of your mind to move away from the hustle and bustle so that you can really rest and let some of those things 
naturally pattern match together. Right? Yeah, it's my version of mindfulness. That's and exactly mindfulness right. also finds like I still meditate. Like that's that exactly I don't right. discredit those things. That's right. No, yeah. that's super cool. I asked and you answered some of the threads you see in successful founders. What do you see in people that don't quite make it? Like what are some of the blunders that you see? Like, oh, I wish they weren't thinking like that. I wish they were a little bit more open-minded about this. I think it's some of some of its open-mindedness. So I think it can be very easy when you are building a company to emotionally attach your identity to it. And some of it of like feeling the pain is, is helpful. The most successful entrepreneurs are the ones that are like, when my time is up, I'm happy to bring in another CEO. I don't need to be in this forever. The ones that I worry about are the ones that their identity and worth is tied to how long they're in it. Like a Mark Zuckerberg is not, that to me just should not be the thing that we are like using as our North Star. That is like totally random to me. But I think the healthiest entrepreneurs say, I am good at this season. Mm. And for the sake of this organization and business, this is the kind of person I need to prepare for in the next season. Otherwise, the whole thing falls apart. That humility is tough, right? Because the type of person that becomes an entrepreneur thinks a whole lot of him or herself. They're you risk have to. They're risk takers. He or she is very powerful and creative. And to think also that the future of the company might not be you leading it, that's a pretty big maturation step. But the right one, but a, but a pretty big maturation step. Let me ask this. Think about our macro environment in our country. And if you had a magic wand, mm-hmm. what would you change? Like... Like magic like wand, anything. Like what would you change? Like anything. Like magic wand, what would you change? Oh, where do I start? <laughs> I think. Okay, so if I could wave my ma- magic wand, there you go. <laughs> what I would like to see is, and this sounds like another like kind of like theoretical thing, but I think that the more effective and healthy people are individually, our ability to solve problems on a macro level would be much greater. Yep, and so. I think that would be the approach that I would take. Something around that. No, that makes sense. If you were to look at American Underground and what you guys are doing into the future and, you know, without going into like all of your strategic plan, like what should we expect next? Hmm. What's to come? Right. You talked about the powerful impact you're making now. You talked about the diversity now. 3,100 jobs now. Those are all amazing things and you'll continue to. But what's the big picture thinking? about what you're trying to take the AU to the next level? So I have a hunch that there's something around the future of work that's going to impact what it looks like to support startups and for startup growth. So I think I think a lot about that. Back in May, we rolled out a virtual membership to the AU. And it's been really interesting to see how people have really, I would say, appreciated that. A couple examples. Um, K4 Connect, based here in Raleigh, they don't need real estate. K4 Connect really wants the programming and the community and the connections and the job postings and the access to space when they need it for team offsites. But why is it that real estate is the deciding factor for that? And so as our region has grown, there are more companies of different sizes. Evolving our model for that makes a lot of sense. So that's one example. Distributed teams. So regardless of what happens from an economic standpoint, and if we go into a recession, more and more teams are going to be, are, and will continue to be fully distributed. More people are working from home. 
I think you get that a lot when you look at this region, when you have a lot of people focused on family. So how do we make it easier for people to both show up in their personal lives and connect professionally when they need it? I had a call a couple weeks ago with a founder based in Dallas, co-founder was in Minneapolis, CTO was in Seattle. When they're ready to raise, they want to hire in the triangle and make the triangle essentially be the environment that feels like their home base that they would come to when they might need to do a team offsite. There are not models in place right now to really accommodate that. And we have that in place now with what we're doing. And so... I don't know exactly where it goes, but my hope is that our same philosophy and values can now extend to, and by the way, this CEO is a black founder and got connected through the Black Founders Exchange. So he's not in an entrepreneurial desert, but think about ones that are. How do we also make what we're doing here accessible there while also encouraging the in-person experience? I think there's something there, and I think the future of work will drive that. No, that's awesome. So one of the things as we as we look at kind of the weaving your story, right? A barista, accountant, working at a law firm to now a leader and a coach for businesses, a leader of people. How did you make that transition, right? Mm. From those roles, those perspectives to the leader that you are now? All right. So I'm a bit of an open book. So I'm going to tell you um, what this looks like. So I worked for Fleet Feet Sports right out of school. So I did a public accounting internship in college realized it was not what I wanted to do, worked for Fleet Feet Sports at their corporate office. And there was a program called CFO in a Box, where we did turnkey financial management, essentially, for the individually owned franchises across the country. So right out of school, I started working with these business owners and helping them think holistically about their businesses and separating personal finances from business finances, making it a great environment for their employees, on and on and on. Love, love, loved it. And they went through a management buyout. I got some of that experience. And I was like, I'm ready for the next thing. In the meantime, I was studying for the CPA exam. I passed three of the four, missed the fourth by a point. Mm. And you have 18 months to do all of them. And so I found myself at this point, like, what what do I really want to be doing? And I went on this retreat and I was talking to someone there. And the next day they said, I was thinking about this last night. And I believe that you are called to be a leader of people and continuing with the CPA exam is going to be a distraction from some of that. It felt so right. And I put it to rest and I never looked back. And that's when my whole world opened up. So getting connected to Adam in American Underground, literally it was like, we're looking for someone that has an accounting background, is from the area, understands and values the economic development side of it. Even if I didn't have full experience in it, I saw the purpose in it. And is just going to roll their sleeves up. And I had enough of supporting entrepreneurs from my previous job with Fleet Feet. And I really didn't know what I was getting into. I had no idea. But this has been an environment where I have discovered myself and my gifts. And there's no reason why I'm thinking like if I'm the Goodmans who own Capital Broadcasting or if I'm Adam, me at 31, why would you hire me? with an accounting degree from App State. There's nothing wrong with App State, but like it's so easy to just look at one profile to our point earlier about education and say, this is what we need. But they saw my work ethic and the way I think and the support that I have to make the decisions and to fight for what I know is right and always be asked, what do founders say? 
like all the time. It is what our founders saying that they need. This has been an environment where I've been able to grow my career and become a leader. And I have an executive coach. He's been phenomenally helpful. I also, I see my therapist every week. And that's another piece of how have I transitioned into a leader. A lot of being a leader of an organization is like family therapy. You are literally leading a family and it sucks sometimes. Mm -hmm. It just sucks sometimes. And so how do you effectively manage yourself? How do you have transparent, honest conversations to honor them? But also where do you draw boundaries? That's right. And so I often think about leading from, I'm not a therapist, but like a family therapy standpoint. And a lot of those things translate. And so I think the mix of all of those has been helpful. And I, I really don't know what I'm doing half the time. <laughs> you know, who yeah, but does? No, but knowing that allows you to ask the next question. Yeah. Right? Like the danger is if you think you know what you're doing all the time. What I know I'm good at is problem solving. And if I can trust myself from that standpoint, I can see gifts in people. I can be honest and transparent. I can draw boundaries for myself. I can solve problems and find the people that can help get to a solution. That I can do really well. And that's really what it takes. But I didn't really know that. I just thought people had all the answers. Yeah, and and they (laughs) did. But it's hard. (laughs) Yeah. Molly, I'm sincerely appreciative. This is so like, fun. I've had a great time. Yeah. Like it's been We should keep talking. Have to do this again. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? But like it was it was really cool. Thank it's you fun. so much. Thanks. I appreciate it. Six AM along fighting battles in my brain. A trance something. That was Molly Demarest from American Underground in Durham, North Carolina. For more information on American Underground, head over to AmericanUnderground.com or visit them on social. They're at A-M-E-R Underground on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Instagram, and at American Underground on Facebook. And remember, even if you're not in the Durham or Triangle area, American Underground Connections could be a fit for your startup, so be sure to check them out. So Molly talked about a lot today. What makes a successful entrepreneur? What traits lead to failure? Why it's so important to be well-rounded in health? And also, why diversity and inclusion are so important? And sometimes it's that diversity you can't see, like different ways of learning, that can lead to inclusion of different ideas on your team. Donald is actually leading a discussion on this called Diversity Beyond the Obvious at the Startup Summit in Raleigh on October 10th. Be sure to grab your tickets for the summit by going to meetup.com or eventbrite.com or simply Googling Startup Summit Raleigh. I'll be there and I hope to see you there as well. This episode was edited and produced by me, Jason Gillikin, for EarFluence. For more on the EarFluence podcast network, including the upcoming Talk West podcast, visit EarFluence.com or check us out on social media. We're at EarFluence Media. Intro and outro music for this episode is You Can't Stop Me from Jensen Reed, and you can find more of his music at JensenReed.com. Thanks for listening, everyone, and we'll see you next week on Hustle Unlimited. Hey.